Congress Minority Report, powered by the National Cannabis Industry Association, also known as the NCIA, one of the largest trade associations in the cannabis industry to date. My name is Khadija Adams. I am your host and also the founder of Girl Get That Money and the Green Street Academy. We're here today with our weekly check-ins. And guess what? Most cases we are doing interviews, but today we won't be doing any interviews. But when we are interviewing, we are interviewing minority-owned businesses um, in the space, um, also companies that support minority-owned businesses and companies that support social equity applicants, as well as cannabis industry leaders and pioneers. When we return from our commercial break, we're going to be talking about the latest news, get you all caught up, and make some announcements as well from the NCIA. So if you're watching on Facebook, hit that share button, or even better, mention us or tag some of your friends who should be watching too. We'll be back after these messages. I am the cannabis industry. 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 We are the cannabis industry. And we are proving that regulation works. Hey, you guys. First of all, I want to say hats off to Miss Mary Pryor over at Canexclusive for nailing an advisory position with Jay-Z's company, The Parent Company. She'll actually be facilitating businesses from those um, communities, uh, minority communities, um, and getting the best shot possible, helping them get the best shot possible in the cannabis industry. So hats off to you, Miss Mary Pryor over at Canexclusive, you know, doing some big things now. Girl, hit me up now, talking about some JC. Don't play. All right, let's get real now. <laughs> Spread the love. Um, besides, wanted to also mention that they are also advertising. They're saying if you want to work with JC's, the parent company, Tuesday um, on August 3rd from 4 p.m. to 5.15 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, you guys have to get registered at Student MMJ Alliance. Um, on Instagram. So make sure you register on Instagram at student MMJ Alliance on Instagram. And that is actually um, part of, I, I think it's sponsored by Canaclusive and also Smart. So make sure that you um, hit them up if you're interested in working with the parent company. All right. And then next, you guys, I'm really excited about this um, 420 New Jersey events. They are hosting an expungement clinic on September 14th. And, um, you know, it's really to help clear the records of men and women um, who have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. They will be providing pro bono legal services to assist with the expungement process for nonviolent cannabis convictions. Spread the word, you guys. And for more information, just email 420NJEvents dot com. So you want to email them at info at 420njevents.com for more information about their expungement clinic that takes place on September the 14th. Now, the next thing in the news today is the Denver mayor, mayor who actually proposes um, cannabis loan fund for um, minorities. Very interesting. Now, the mayor of Denver, Colorado, wants to direct a portion of marijuana sales tax revenue towards a new $50 million loan fund 
to help minority investors join the city's recreational cannabis industry. Mayor Michael Hancock's proposal also includes working with the financial industry as well. So recreational marijuana sales commenced in Colorado um, on January 1st, 2014. You know, according to, to uh, Mr. Hancock, he says, history exposes an amazing imbalance when it comes to this industry. Many investors in the industry are white and male. At the same time, many people of color are still weighed down by past convictions of possession. So, you know, I really think that, you know, his heart is in the right place. I would look, I'm looking forward to see how that fund is going to pan out and pan out and how it's going to actually help um, minority community as well as the social equity applicants. Um, there as well. So don't forget, you guys, if you are watching from Facebook, be sure to hit the share button or even better, um, mention or tag some of your friends that should be watching too. When we return, we're going to talk a little bit about um, what we're doing over here at the NCIA. We'll be right back after these messages. We're very proud to be NCIA members. Uh, we've been members for the last three years, and I gotta say, every event, every conference, every uh, you know get together that's sponsored by NCIA is a good opportunity not just to meet uh, you know others in the industry, obviously, uh, but really to talk about the industry as a whole, where it's going, where it's been, our challenges to date. We feel really grateful to NCIA for including us in the educational tracks the last three years. We've been at every seed to sale and most of the shows in, on the West Coast. Every time we're here, I always have a sense that it's not just another one of these industry conferences, that it's actually, um, that it is the industry's lobbying arm and that it's an organization that is protecting all of us and fighting for the legal future that we all need. At the end of the day, the most important and impactful thing for us is the community. It's really about the people, the people that NCIA brings together and, and the events like this one that NCIA organizes for, for us to gather. If you're in this industry, NCIA is trying to influence it positively for you. If you're not speaking up, if you're not participating in committees, you're missing out on a huge window. You know, everyone wants change. Well, this is one of the ways you, you do it. You don't have to be a member of the NCIA. You could just do nothing and let them do everything for you and fix all the problems that need to be fixed for the industry to work properly. And you could just sit on the sidelines. That would be fine, but it'd be better if you were a member. today we have some special for our podcast audience we're going to take a look at some of our top performing episodes we are back with our very special guest miss naomi um, mcintosh she is the youngest child of the revolutionary musician and, and activist mr peter tosh as the executor of the Peter Tosh Estate and Brand, Nyambe, um, I'm sorry, has stepped up to the mantle to carry on her father's message and legacy. As the managing member of the Tosh Holdings LLC, board chairperson for the Peter Tosh Foundation, and president of PT Capital LLC, she wears a lot of hats. She was born in Kingston, Jamaica, and raised in Boston, Massachusetts, in which she calls both 
her home. She received her bachelor's degree in engineering. Welcome to the Cannabis Minority Report. It is an honor to have you on our show. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. We knew that it was only, you know, it was only right that we have a brand in my in my father's name, you know, due to his activism, um, you know, and, and being that that um that founder really in 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 the movement of legalization. So many people didn't even know about cannabis. They found out about cannabis through reggae. Um, but our, my journey in kind of running the estate, it was actually when my family was personally impacted um, by um, cannabis prohibition and the war on drugs. Hey guys, we are back interviewing Mr. Omar Figueroa, attorney at law. Omar has more than 22 years of experience at the vanguard of California cannabis law and is widely respected as a cannabis industry expert. He earned his bachelor's degree or bachelor of arts in philosophy from Yale College in Connecticut and his Juris Doctor from Stanford Law School in California. Omar is the director of the National Cannabis Industry Association as well as a director of the Cannabis Travel Association International. Um, he is a founding lifetime member and a former director of the International Cannabis Bar Association and is a lifetime member of Normal Legal Committee and recognized with the Distinguished Counsel's Award by, by Normal. I've been doing cannabis law for 22 years and I started back when cannabis was a felony. You know, cultivation of a single plant was a felony in California as was possession of any amount with the intent to sell. And so I've defended hundreds of cannabis cultivators all over California, traveling basically from county to county. Um, and when I started off, I was a, as a freedom lawyer, I was drawn to the cannabis growers because in my opinion, they were like the creme de la creme of criminal defendants, super nice, peaceful, conscious people uh, who planned long ahead because you can't really make it as a grower if you can't think several months ahead. And so, um, you know, many of them were being unfairly prosecuted um, for conduct that really was legal under the medical marijuana laws that we had at the time. But there was, the laws were so big that there's a lot of litigation over what they meant and the exact contour of the medical cannabis defense. And so I spent uh, decades traveling across the state, defending growers, and then also working to legalize cannabis. And I was part of efforts in 2010, 2012, 2000, I think 16 was the next one, uh, to legalize cannabis. We finally succeeded in 2016 with uh, semi-legalization, Proposition 64. It did not repeal the cannabis prohibitions. It uh, reduced many criminal penalties and also overlaid uh, regulatory system on top of it. So you could finally get state licenses uh, to engage in commercial cannabis activity. When that happened, I was one of the last lawyers um, to you know, keep doing exclusively cannabis defense because I was so good at it. I was like one of the best. And it was like a very interesting life because I was traveling all over the state defending cases and running into the same type of like, you know, lies the police told in every case that you know, a single plant would yield two pounds in every case, regardless of the circumstances, and that any amount, no matter what the amount, was always for sale. And so over time, I got really good at debunking, 
you know, those, those kind of um, type, types of arguments in court and uh, cross-examining cops, you know, was one of my favorite things to do because, you know, it's like playing uh, Socratic games with like somebody who, you know, doesn't want to tell the truth and forcing them to tell the truth can be extremely rewarding. You know, uh, you know I guess there, there's a saying that, you know, the uh, sweetest two words in the English language are not guilty, but, you know, that was like attributed to Clarence Darrow. Uh, but for me, the sweetest word in the English language is dismissed. And, you know, I had so many cases dismissed and just that feeling of complete elation when you got a case dismissed, you know, was something that I've enjoyed numerous times in my life. And I still continue to do because I, I do pro bono um, freedom defense work for political activists. Uh, and currently I'm representing some Black Lives Matter, well, one person who uh, is part of a group of three who were falsely accused of uh, throwing pig's blood and a pig's head on the former home of Barry Broad. And Barry Broad was an expert in the Derek Chauvin trial who testified that the use of force was reasonable and uh, you know something outrageous. And so uh, my client who's an activist is being charged with this felony vandalism. And it's part of um, you know, my uh, work over the years as a freedom defense attorney to stand up for all of our rights and to stand up for those who stand up against the government. And so um, I've defended many you know, um, activists over the years and, and that's been a, a interesting and very rewarding and at least intellectually and emotionally uh, part of my career. Uh, because I, I can look back on my career and say that I did not devote my legal career to making money and to helping the wealthy uh, oppress the not so wealthy. And so um, that's something that I saw many of my colleagues from Stanford Law School, you know, they devoted themselves to large corporations and serving the, the needs of massive corporations that, you know, many of them do not have uh, human values. Now there's like a new wave of uh, corporate, you know, conscious capitalism, which is interesting because um, I have pivoted my law practice from doing freedom defense to doing now uh, transactional business law for cannabis businesses. And that includes uh, getting permits and licenses, uh, doing all sorts of agreements, mergers and acquisitions, contracts of all types, intellectual property, including state trademark registration, federal trademark registration, um, you know, creating uh, trade secret protection plans. And so all of this is like super exciting when it's applied to cannabis. And uh, for me, my learning curve has been literally like just completely vertical since I graduated from law school um, because I, I've always, you know, chosen like the novel areas of the law because those are the most exciting. And cannabis definitely is full of novelty, especially as cannabis and business merge. Um, you know, for, for my law firm, like we're doing some of the most exciting type of uh, civil transactional work that there's out there. You know, it's the cannabis practice area is something that is super interesting and we're able to attract top talent. So I've created like a little think tank um, with my law office. It's a boutique law firm, but we have a group of lawyers and now there are five lawyers and every morning we get together and we discuss, you know, we, we workshop all of our cases, all, all the matters that we're working on. And so um, that to me, you know, keeps the practice of law intellectually engaging, which I think, you know, if you're going to get better as a lawyer and you're going to become, um, you know, 
keep keep improving as a human being, understanding that you know you're never really done. You always must keep learning in order to stay alive. Um, you know that um, that that's kind of like the environment I created for myself. So uh, I'm not chasing the dollars. I'm more like you know chasing the ideas and and looking you know searching for truth. You know, writ large. Mr. Corey Dishman, a resident of West Orange, New Jersey. He graduated magna cum laude after putting himself through school and holds a BA from Seton Hall University in sociology, along with a, an upcoming master's in education. Uh, joining him is his partner, CEO of the library, Mr. Charles Penn, former resident of Essex County, New Jersey. Charles has his associate's degree in audio engineering and is completing a BA in sociology at uh, Rucker. Rutgers University. Uh, today, these two gentlemen founded the library, formerly known as the Bud Library. Super fun name. Uh, we want to welcome you guys to the Cannabis Minority Podcast. It's always good to, to see you guys. My overall understanding, or, or I guess what it means to me, is just being able to access uh, the, the services or, or goods of any institution, whether private or public. And, you know, when it comes to uh, this, the cannabis industry, I guess what it means to me or my understanding of it in, in terms of this industry would be uh, uh, giving people the equal access or the fair access to initiate their journey into the cannabis industry, you know, because one thing that I know a lot of my friends uh, may feel, whether they say it or not, I could just tell, you know, uh, because when I first said, oh, man, I want to open up a dispensary, you know, people look at you like, how the hell are you going to do that? You know, it's just it's one of those questions to right. They, they assume that it's just so astronomical uh, because, you know, you don't know anybody who's done it and the industry is dominated by a particular group, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I'm not here to, to, to throw dirt on anybody, but um, for that reason, people feel as though it's something that's unattainable, you know? So, so I guess uh, uh, social equity in that standpoint would just be people feeling like they can take that first step that there are services and institutions and places they can go to gain this information so that they can become an entrepreneur. You know, I feel like if you want to open up a bodega, you know, nobody's really apprehensive or nervous about that. They don't see that as something that's astronomical because they feel like they'll be able to find, you know, the right supply chain, uh, people to help them invest. But when it comes to this, it just seems like, you know, you're, uh, you're shooting for the stars, but I, but that's the thing that, that attracted me to it because it seemed so unattainable that I was just like, I got to do it. I mean, I agree hundred percent with Charles. Um, he kind of took some of my answer, but um, I think of fairness, I think of justice. Um, I think of how we as minority business owners have to promote social justice and we have to get involved. You know, it's not as easy as just hide behind the profits and, and the revenue and, and just collect people's money and not become a pillar in the community or the state or, in the movement itself, you know, um, I, like I said, I was a victim of circumstances. I was a victim of um, possession of marijuana charges in, in states where it shouldn't have even been upheld. But, you know, now we are what we are. Um, I do not believe that there's a one-size-fits-all approach to anything. I think we have to meet people where they are. Obviously, we are all not fortunate enough to have the same resources, opportunities, um, even relationships, you know. So with that being said, equity for me is just giving people a chance um, to 
to actually meet them where they are and allow them to be able to do what they dream of doing or what they work hard at doing. So. Absolutely. Giving them access to, to that capital too, right? Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. This is what it's going to take, right? Is everybody recognizing that this is something that needs to be done and everybody putting putting their, their, their feet lightly on the ground and saying we're going to do something about that. It just sparked a fire in me. Giving people the equal access or the fair access to initiate their journey. What I experience as far as hazing and sexism and racism really, to be honest, really broke me down over time. Specifically African-American patients and patients of a certain age. This was helping people, but it was also being villainized and people were being treated like criminals. The industry is dominated by a particular group. The more we support one another and the more we identify um, these companies that um, participate with social equity, um, with social justice, as well as you know, making this industry more diverse, I believe that we're gonna be on the right track. But before we say goodbye today, let's take a look at some of NCIA's news and reminders. Right now, the NCIA is accepting applications to serve on our committees. Now, the NCIA committees are an opportunity for members to get directly involved in specific industry issues and sectors. These volunteer-driven efforts engage members to drill down in areas of expertise and passion to, ex I'm sorry, to affect change and also to provide professional development opportunities and develop best practices and guidelines that will shape the future of our industry. Um, there are 14 um, committees that we have that you can choose from involving the Scientific Advisors Committee, Facilities Design Committee, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, um, the Cannabis Cultivation Committee, and so many more. Now, the NCIA Social Equity um, Scholarship recipients and new members qualify for committee placement, and a goal of the, the scholarship program is to diversify the voices in leadership positions on the NCIA's committees. And it is important um, for everyone to know that, you know, we want you to submit these applications no later than August 15th. That is the deadline, okay? It's really important for you to know that the deadline is August 15th. That's just 14 days away. And so if you want to really, um, you know, contribute to what's going on here in our, in our um, cannabis community, and you want to help with change, then you want to make sure that you submit your application to be on one of the 14 committees and just find whichever one fits in your wheelhouse where you feel that you can make the most impact. Again, the deadline is August the 15th. Stay tuned this week um, to the NCIA's member news blog, Industry Insights, for the reintroduction of the NCIA's member spotlight series, coming back to highlight some of the new NCIA members who joined through the Social Equity Scholarship Program. This month, it's Northern California's I Fly Wellness. The CEO, David Rodriguez, answers some questions and discusses their farm to blunt business model in, in our latest member spotlight. Read all about it in the chief executive's own words in industry highlights or insights on our mobile app. Don't forget to download our mobile app. 
and at the cannabisindustry.org um, coming out on Tuesday. Now, remember, the mission of the DEIC committee is to educate, to advocate, to engage and empower the community of cannabis and its members by cultivating partnerships with other nonprofit organizations with similar goals, providing resources that creates and sustains an environment that is inclusive, that is equitable, and that is diverse. We are committed to building a culture that respects our members and celebrates their contributions as we work together to strengthen all communities in the cannabis industry. Don't forget about our webinar series and the fact that we will be in Detroit, Michigan on September 22nd and 23rd at the Midwest Cannabis Business Conference. Um, for more information about that, you can go to MidwestCannabisBusinessConference.com. That's MidwestCannabisBusinessConference.com. And then December 7th and 8th, we'll be in Baltimore, Maryland at the Eastern Cannabis Business Conference. Um, for more information, go to EasternCannabisBusinessConference.com. EasternCannabisBusinessConference.com. And then December 15th and 17th, guess what? We'll be in San Francisco, California. Excited about that. Super excited about that. Um, so for more information about that, go to CannabisBusinessSummit.com. CannabisBusinessSummit.com. We want to send a special shout out and thanks of appreciation to our DEI program sponsors, Tahoe Wellness Center, the law offices of Omar Figueroa, as well as Copper State Farms. I want to thank you so much. We appreciate your contribution, um, especially to our uh, DEI program. You know, you really put your money where your mouth is, and we appreciate that. Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to download the NCIA's mobile app. And guess what? If you're watching on Facebook, don't forget to share and click on that share button. Where is it? Up here, down here, or wherever it is. Click on it. Tag a friend that should be watching it as well. And if you know of someone that you think should be interviewed right here on the Cannabis Minority Report with me, Khadija Adams, then just list it up, okay? And info at KhadijaAdams.com. That's info at KhadijaAdams.com. Dot com. Until then, peace, love, and hippie stuff. NCIA's Cannabis Minority Report is a product of the National Cannabis Industry Association and NCIA's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. We are hosted every week by Khadijah Adams. Our executive producers are Aaron Smith and Vince Chandler. We are directed by Vince Chandler and produced by Bethany Moore and Alexis Olive. Please, please, please find out everything you can about the growing and equitable cannabis industry at thecannabisindustry.org.